And we've seen yeah. examples of that. Yeah. And for instance, this uh, woman that we're dealing with, um, our uh, pediatrician, right? Now, she retired out of the Rockefeller system. Now she's been doing this holistic pediatrics for about the last 15 years. She's only cash pay. Her, her price is very cheap. It's like $150 for the first visit, $90 for each additional. Um, she always says, unless your child is sick, there's no reason for them to come see the doctor. But a doctor who's younger, who's 30 years old, who just finished med school in his residency, can't afford to be doing uh, cash pay visits for $90. So she's, right. she has the luxury of being able to do that because she's already retired out of the uh -huh. system you know and so that's what i've started to see i'm not an expert in this but other doctors we were referred to who were in their 50s and now all of a sudden are part of a doctor's group and the next thing you know they're not taking any new patients they're not going to talk about vaccine options with you at all uh, they seem to be very scared uh -huh. to even have the conversation and some yeah. of them didn't seem to be very thrilled that they were referred by some of the midwives of the dual they were like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't really do that anymore. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, young doctors, um, as you said, they have good intentions. When they get into medical, uh, medical school, they have good intentions. And even when they become doctors, they start practicing. They, the indoctrination is so deep that they don't even realize that they, they've been they've been indoctrinated, they've been programmed to function in such a way that um, doesn't allow them critical thinking or common sense anymore. Everything that they think is being taught to them through a memorization system, and that's built in their medical curriculum. So mm -hmm. being, becoming a doctor is not because you're very smart, it's because you have a good memorization capacity. Right, so, and then they're, they're being driven um, into a one-size-fits-all medical approach, and exactly. they basically become robots of the system. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, and that's yes. not just to say that about, you know, doctors. We see that as well as with lawyers, you know, are controlled by the Bar yep. Association. We see that with teachers. I mean, one of the big issues here in the United States over the last 15, 20 years is talking about, you know, common core and teaching kids math that doesn't even work. It's not based on math, but yep. I always remind people, if you take a teacher, young than me i'm 41 right she grew up in that system she went to college in that system she was taught under that system so once she becomes a teacher how does she really know anything else other than the system unless she's willing to educate herself and then she bucks the system and when you buck the system what happens you're going to lose your job you lose your mm -hmm. paycheck you can't put food on the table anymore that's generally what's going to occur when you buck the system Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. Every single specialty, every single aspect of life um, has been impacted by indoctrination, by programming, by, you know, brainwashing. So when you look at, uh, like, the school system, as you mentioned, it's, it's terrifying. The curriculum that kids go through is terrifying, especially public school. Public school is basically a liberal, it's left, it's far left uh, uh, ideology with all their propaganda that's been going on for years and especially in the last three years with the, you know, the inclusivity, with the climate change, with the diversity, with the, you know, the germs and 
space and all those that stuff <laughs> you know when you look at kids when they're doing their homework or when they tell you what uh, what they studied this week or the, today or yesterday it's really really propaganda all of it all of it is propaganda it's all brainwashing yeah and, and that is no of- different in like public school or uh you know private school that follows the uh, government curriculum. Uh, I'm not talking about unschooling, which is completely different, which is like freedom, right? (laughs) But um, um, college, university, and any specialty, any university studies, they are all affected by it. Definitely. And it's, and even, you know, in the public indoctrination school system, it's even beyond the straight up, propaganda written into the textbooks and what the teachers are taught to teach it goes even they're just like as you mentioned there with the uh people going to medical school it's this they're just teaching them to be robots in the collectivist Mm -hmm. system that's really all it is a good little robot if you are a kid who's got a little more energy than other kids you know you should really be driven towards being maybe an entrepreneur a business person instead you're deemed to have adhd they want to bring you down to the principal's office you got to drug your child unless if you don't drug your child, they're going to get thrown out. Then we'll move them into the school with the bad kid. I mean, and that's what happens. So anyone who tries to, uh, or, or the or the school system, the government system, sees as being someone who's not going to conform to being a good little robot, they get pushed mm-hmm. outside and driven into the bad kids area of the school. It's, yeah. it's horrible. It is horrible. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into uh, uh, vaccines and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, germ versus terrain, I wanted to ask you, so you were just talking about this uh, manual that's been turned into this software system in which the doctor plugs in a series of symptoms and then it comes back with recommendations of what big pharma drugs he should be dosing his patient with. Mm-hmm. I just want to put it in perspective uh, using the case, obviously the big one that everyone knows of now, uh, which I call COVID land, the high school theater production. And so we've heard over time over the last few years, it went from them giving people remdesivir to shoving a vent down their throat. So if you were someone who came in uh, to the hospital or went to your doctor during COVID, let's use this as an example. How do they run someone like that through uh, this manual or through this type of software? Because obviously the majority of the doctors out there were following the same pattern because almost immediately you'd hear about your friend's grandmother in Connecticut who was vented and then your friend's grandmother in Texas who was vented. And you're like, okay, well, where did all this come from? Who decided that was going to be the protocol? Well, you know what? The last three years since COVID, things have changed because everything became COVID at that time. So the protocol came from the government. Like everyone is tested and everyone is positive. And then whether they have, they come to the hospital for like cardiac issues or skin issues or whatever it is, they get tested and it's COVID. And we've seen even cases where people had, you know, car accident or motorcycle accident and they were and they died and they were labeled as COVID. So the software was not involved anymore since the last three years. I don't think so. Not for COVID, but for other things, right? Like in private practices. In hospitals, they don't use the, um, uh, they don't use the software to my knowledge, but I've seen it in like private practices. 
Um, but the protocols have been dictated as, you know, uh, we've, we've heard from uh, whistleblowers over the last three years, especially from the U.S., where, you know, they had uh, funding for H diagnosis and funding for H uh, ventilator use and funding for H, uh, you know, test and things like that. So the hospital would end up with $39,000 um, uh, extra funding for all these three, mm-hmm. you know, the diagnosis, the test and ventilator. Right, and, right. So they had government incentives to drive them into those yeah. sol- sol- final solutions. Actually, we could call them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But the software is used, um, to my knowledge, in uh, private practices where uh, the doctors, you know, they run the symptoms and uh, how do they, you know, um, they ask, they, they have that session with, uh, with their patient where they ask questions and why are you here? What brought you here? And what are the symptoms? When did they start? And what did you feel? What did you take? And, you know, they take down all these um, uh, symptoms from the patient and then they enter them in the software. And then, then they have the suggestions of possible causes of these symptoms, mm-hmm. uh, possible named diseases or syndromes. And then according to each one, then it's, it's going to be like the doctor's judgment on which one is the most likely to be the, the disease. Okay. And then they, they prescribe accordingly. Uh, but, you know, with practice, they would, they would be more, um, it would be more easy for them to spot or identify each disease and not rely that much on the software. But software is like very much used when you are your doctor. So basically the doctor is just using a slightly more advanced version of me going on Google or WebMD and going, I have a cough, my eye is twitching, and I have a rash on my elbow. And it says, you probably have this. Go get drugs. Mm-hmm. Correct. <laughs> That is correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you end up, as many senior citizen friends of mine over the years I've seen, with a medicine cabinet with 34 prescriptions. And then you ask yeah. them what each of those are. The first two are to do something. And then the other 34 are to take care of the symptoms caused by the other ones. By the, the others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This one lowers exactly. the fluid in my legs. What do you have fluid in your legs? Well, the swelling is caused by the pill I take for my heart. Well, yeah, and then before you know it, all <laughs> All these drugs are connected to each other um yeah. so so before we get into um because i really want to talk to you about vaccines in general but you had mentioned that since you got into the natural you know holistic coaching and studying and talking to patients in in that world you no longer believe in the immune system so i want to talk to you that's really interesting so i want to talk to you about that and then also before we get into all this other good stuff your feelings and i don't know this folks i didn't ask uh, coach shaji before the interview your feelings on what exactly you know covid is uh what actually it is what actually is you know in the 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 mrna what is in the jabs you know just your feelings on that because obviously everyone is interested in that still to this day so um what's your what's your thoughts on the immune system this sounds uh really interesting so the immune system is a is a term coined by um the germ theory uh type of medicine which means um when you say immune it means that you have to 
have a system in your body that defends you from attacking pathogens, from pathogenic particles. And in this case, in a germ theory case, it's vir viruses and bacteria and uh, fungus and things like that. So you're, you, you have to have an immune system that keeps fighting these uh, flying unicorns, right? Um, invisible entities like viruses or bacteria that some are believed to be harmful and some are believed to be good. And um, let me open a, like a little parenthesis um, mm -hmm. on this one. Until the early 2000s, modern medicine did not believe that bacteria could be good. So it was not until the 2000, early 2000s that modern medicine had to admit and recognize that there, there are good bacteria. Some germs are really good and you should not fight them, right? Before that, every bacteria was the bad guy. Mm -hmm. So it took how many years from, you know, the time of Pasteur, late 1800s, until the year 2000, 100 years, over 100 years for medicine to recognize and admit that some germs only are good. But my belief is that there is no harmful bacteria at all. All the bacteria have a purpose and they are used, created in different shapes and forms in the body and they adapt and they are created based on the need and on the tissue where they work, where they operate. And the body uses them to, for digestion, for uh, hormone production, uh, enzymes, uh, vitamins, um, cleanup, you know, when there is um, a break, breakdown of uh, tissues like cancer, for example, the body uses bacteria and fungus through that process. And to detox, to remove the waste and the debris, the body uses bacteria and fungus as well, right? So there's no such thing as a harmful or bad bacteria. Mm -hmm. But this is not admitted. This is not accepted by modern medicine. They believe that there are some bacteria that are bad, like uh, Salmonella, for example, or the Lyme, the, uh, um, or any other, you know, what they call inf bacterial infections, like the strep, streptococcus, and things like that, meningococcus. You know, they all believe that these bacteria are really harmful. While yeah, at the well same time, we all have them in our system, but how come they become? They become dangerous at some point. They say, oh, because when your system, immune system goes down and when you have a weak immune system, then there's an overgrowth and you develop an infection. They start attacking your body. And that's why I don't believe in the immune system anymore because there's nothing to be immune from. The body is designed to maintain balance, to remove the waste and take in the good nutrients. And... Um, the psyche, the brain, and the organs, and every tissue are connected to each other. Mm -hmm. And they no, that, don't need, there's no like a definition of immune system. There's no organ that is called immune system. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. No, no, that's that's really interesting because we went through a situation and I, and I had done a lot of research on it when it came up. So one of the things that uh, they'll test for in uh, you know Western medicine or modern medicine during uh, birth or uh, the, during labor is um, GBS, Group B strep, right? So they claim that over like 60% of men and women have it in their body anyway this bacteria uh but once in the in the case of a woman if it's found in a test in the vagina then they want to dose you with antibiotics uh during the birth so the antibiotics actually get through the umbilical cord and make their way into the child to protect the child so i start doing research first off the United States has been pushing this big time since like the 60s or 70s. Uh, in England, they do the testing a little bit different. They do it on what's called risk basis. But when you go down into the CDC studies, which is, you know, the clearinghouse for all this stuff, you'll find that they try to scare you into believing your child's going to get the GBS past them, which in a lot of cases it does, but it doesn't do anything. And they say, well, it could lead to death. Even in the CDC-approved studies, you find when you boil down the numbers that it becomes supposedly like 1 in 60, 70,000 children die from it, which, first off, how did you do a study? Would you study a billion people to figure out 1 in 60,000? and. Yeah. So they try to scare you and pressure you uh, into doing this. Then I said, well, where's the studies from the CDC on the long-term effects on a child of injecting antibiotics into its body before it's actually born? Oh, those don't exist. Oh, they don't exist. So you're doing a one-size-fits-all solution to just inject Mm -hmm. antibiotics into the mother to pass it to the child, and no one has ever been forced to do a study in the last 50 years on the long-term effects? What does that kid look like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the line? Oh, nobody knows. I, I mean, it's and that's just one thing that I did personally. I spent probably yeah. 25 hours researching it uh, to decide what we were going to do in this situation. And at the end, I started telling the midwives or do that nobody had because nobody's ever done the research. I said, no, I found all the studies connected to this, and this mm-hmm. is my conclusion, and I'm not a doctor, but you're yeah. telling me you're in the profession and you've never actually studied it, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's absolutely crazy. And you know what? All the, uh, uh, the causation studies that you may find published on uh, PubMed uh, regarding bacteria and viruses, they really do not establish causation. It's just assumptions and theories. There is no causal link between the presence of bacteria and the disease itself. They have, bacteria are not the cause of the disease. They're the consequence of anything that happens prior to that. Like the example that I like to cite every time, firefighters are the fire. Uh, They're not the cause of the fire. They're trying to put out the fire. So it's like you coming and blaming the firefighters for the fire. Or you blame the flies for the garbage. It's exactly the same thing. Just because there was a sample taken from that place, and then they culture them, and then they find bacteria, and they say, oh, here's the cause. How do you know it's the cause? It's, it was just there. How do you know it was the cause? You know? Right. Like sept- septicemia, for example. They take blood samples because the, you know, the infant died, or the infant uh, had high fever and lethargic, and it could not 
respond to any treatment, give them antibiotics, it didn't work, and they die of septicemia. And then blood culture uh, you know, reveals that there's a lot of bacteria in his blood. Oh, it's the cause of the disease. How, how do you know it is the cause? How do, how do you establish that? Why, why don't you think that it is the drugs that you gave to this, uh, to this kid or the injections that you injected the mom before, before she gave birth or the, you know, whatever toxic things that they were exposed to? You know, so exactly. causal link does not exist in those studies. And it's the methods, when you read the methods uh, section on each paper that involves viruses or bacteria, it's junk science. It's pseudoscience. Yeah, well, that, that's what I had said to these guys. You, you have the NICU team at the hospital standing by, you know, in the case of any infection of the mother. And uh, like I said, we had to manage this. Uh, in a way to make sure they weren't going to take the baby away and try to dose it with antibiotics mm-hmm. for 48 hours and lock it in a room. I said, yeah, and then what happens? We're going to come to the room, the baby's going to be dead, and you're going to tell us, oh, sorry, we did everything we could. And I'm going to say to you, well, how do I know you didn't kill it with the antibiotics you jacked it up with for 48 hours? You know, my father was a cop. He's been a private investigator for 40 years, so I grew up with him uh, doing that. He was a uh, big PI in medical malpractice in the state of Connecticut, has worked on many 10, 20 million dollar cases and one of the things that came up years ago in the state of connecticut is you have the connecticut hospital association now when someone dies in the hospital during a surgery or for whatever reason a lot of that information is loaded in a computer sent to the connecticut hospital association and locked in their server room and there's actually laws in the state of connecticut that lawyers can't even get that information through subpoenas so they could kill your relative let's say in the case of a event during covid they killed them and then they're not going to walk out and say hey uh sorry, Coach Saji, we killed your dad. You know, they're not going to go out and say that. They're going to say your dad died. And then if you end up getting a medical malpractice attorney who actually wants to go after them, a lot of that information they can never actually recover. It's locked in basically a server vault. So um, it goes to show they hide a lot of this. Now, what are your opinions on, uh, we just talked about bacteria in the immune system. What's your opinion on uh, viruses? I know all this ties into germ and uh, terrain theory, germ versus terrain theory. It's a unicorn. It's a flying unicorn. It's never been seen. And whatever they show you, it's not a virus. It's not what they're saying it is because the methods they use to isolate, you know, isolate the virus are completely junk science because they're not able, they will tell you it is not possible to see a virus in your, for example, saliva or lung fluid, you cannot take a sample and analyze it directly under the microscope and see the virus. They say, no, that is not possible. We have to culture it. We have to use cell cultures and using uh, kidney monkey cells, uh, uh, sorry, uh, monkey kidney cells, and then bovine serum and antibiotics, gentamicin and enzymes like trypsin, add a bunch of things to the mix and then you uh, you stop feeding those cells you uh, let them you know you deprive them of nutrition and then once they die in that toxic soup once they die they um, they use the microscope and they, they see that 
you know, there's a lot of particles. So the, the cell has been destroyed and there's a lot of particles in there. And they tell you, oh, here are the virus. Here's the virus. Like, how do you know it is the virus? Any images that we've been shown are the result of this procedure. How mm -hmm. do you isolate? How do you separate? There is genetic material coming from the cells, coming from the bovine serum, you know, from all the things that they bring into that soup. And then they take, you know, the, uh, the result of that uh, procedure and then, you know, they analyze it under the microscope and they come up with assumptions and theories and there is no control experiment. They have never done control experiments. But they have theory, well, theories that they have established as facts through time and repetition that the viruses, they get into the cells, they go to your DNA, they unfold it, and then they use it to replicate. So they need a host to proliferate and multiply, and that's how they infect people. But if the, if the virus cannot be seen outside of a cell, how do you know it is there? Mm -hmm. How do you know it comes from the outside? How do you know how it enters the cell? How do you know how it unfolds the DNA? That has never, ever been observed in reality, not in a Petri dish and not in, in vivo, which means in a living organism, ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now there's a lot of people, I see you going back and forth with folks on Twitter that are always trying to challenge you, or you throw out challenges to people to get them to think. Mm -hmm. And then they'll come back, obviously, with the regurgitated propaganda, brainwashing yeah. that they learn from somewhere else. So if you take people that will say to you, okay, well, well, if viruses aren't real, how do I get diagnosed with the flu right and then in my house my son gets the flu of course i will say to people well then how did your wife not get the flu and your other two kids not get the flu mm -hmm. and so uh people ask that question that's obviously the, the most uh, asked question i would imagine when people try to challenge you they go well viruses aren't real how how did two out of the five people in my house have a cold at the same time last week or how did everyone in my house have covid last week now i always say to people well how how do you know that it was COVID? Oh, we went down to the CVS parking lot and we got tested and they told us it was COVID. So um, what, what's your answer to folks that ask that question? Yeah, so the challenge that I launched, uh, was it two days ago, was uh, for doctors or scientists, microbiologists or things like that to provide the proof of the existence of viruses. And then I made sure to mention that um, the irrelevant questions to this specific one, the isolation of the virus, irrelevant questions are, if, it, if there is no virus, then what causes this or that? So first establish that there is a virus or there, there isn't. And then we talk about what other causes, what are the causes of disease, of you know, contracting something or the appearance of catching something for someone else. So um, I want to make sure we make distinction between proving the existence of the virus and then looking at what could cause someone to become sick or to appear to have caught it from someone else. So now that I mentioned briefly about the uh, junk science that is virology, 
in all their experiments. Um, what, do, what are the causes, the possible causes of someone becoming sick? The first thing that we need to understand is that when you are sick, you are actually healing. You are healing from something. You're not being attacked at, at that time. There's no attack on you. It's your body healing. What do you heal from? You heal from injuries, from conflicts, emotional traumas, um, that resolve. Once the conflicts are resolved, your body goes through healing. And the other causes are toxicity. When you have radiation toxicity, for example, why do many people get sick in the same uh, area or the same neighborhood after a cell tower has been installed in there or a few cell towers, new cell towers get installed? Why? Because you have a new type of electricity, waves, electronic waves that are being, like, you're being bombarded with. It's a new thing that your body is not used to. So radiations are very, very much dangerous in that they could cause a lot of issues. And many of the symptoms, if not all the symptoms that we've seen in COVID, what they call COVID, especially in the early onset, like the first cases, are no different from radiation poisoning. So the symptoms caused by radiation poisoning are exactly the same as what we've seen in COVID. And what happened in 2019 and early 2020, the deployment, they started the deployment of 5G. Oh, it was tested in Wuhan, it was tested in New York, it was tested in uh, Seattle and Toronto, um, in Iran, in Italy. You know, all those hotspots that we've seen, they had tested 5G at that time. In Wuhan, for example, they had a mass mandatory vaccination in late 2019, flu jabs. And wow. add to, uh, to the, you know, uh, uh, adding salt to injury, like deploy 5G, full spectrum 5G in Wuhan in 2020, and you get the perfect uh, scenario to launch and declare a pandemic. And the rest was taken by uh, big media, by the media, right? Mainstream media, they did a big job in creating that fear. And the fear itself, being in constant fear, is a shock to the body. And that will make you sick. 